0: Hello, and welcome to this week's investment update. A week of further calming in markets, but could it be the calm before another storm? I'm Richard Edgar, talking to you from my home on the south coast of England, and I'm joined on the line by Fidelity's chief investment officer, Andrew McCaffrey. Hello, Andrew.
1: Good morning, Richard.
0: Now, Andrew, we're almost at the Easter break. Um, is there any sign that markets are winding down, or is it is it quite the opposite?
1: I think there's um, a little a sense of uh, a desire for some some rest, but obviously it's a very strange rest that uh, many of us are going through with a, a long weekend where um, uh, you know we're confined to uh, to home, and um, uh, you know the uh, the big move is which room to choose to uh, spend time in uh, over the weekend. Uh, so uh, I think. Um, uh, yeah the the reality for markets is that uh, you know it has been a very very uh, uh, you know, difficult march, as we all know. April has got off to a slightly calmer start. but again, I think that the the important elements of focus on uh, you know what some of those um, indicators that we've been talking about in recent weeks are uh, continuing to to do
0: can you can you take us through some of those indicators? for example, you know volatility that's definitely come off. the spreads. Tell us about those.
1: Yeah. So it's important to sort of look at maybe the one of the most challenging elements was the liquidity in markets. Um, and what we have seen is that the uh, spreads um, and the ability to trade at uh, uh, the prices on you know, the bid to offer have actually uh, calmed down a little bit. There's a little bit more activity flowing through, but it was still a long way from where we were in January and February. So the reality is that at the moment, encouraging improvement from the worst that we saw, but by no means um, back to the benignness that we saw in January and February. Um, in terms of the other indicators, when we look at um, volatility, again, that uh, uh, you know, process of seeing that we didn't have fresh waves rolling through markets, you know, definitely we saw that ease as we came into the latter part of March. Um, the overall levels have come down, which is encouraging. But I think it's also important to bear in mind that Uh, We still have elevated levels, um, That even though the markets have um, uh, had a strong uh, recovery in recent days, that uh, we're still seeing high single-figure percentage point moves um, occurring um, on a daily and obviously intraday basis as we saw yesterday.
0: So a little bit more on that then, please, because it seems that there are still these wild swings, if you compare it with what we used to consider a wild swing, these really are, um, on almost nuggets of, of news, whether it's the the, the grim news about um, death rates or infection rates, or in the UK, the fact that the Prime Minister, um, it was revealed that he um, had had to go into hospital. And, and that these things are really moving, particularly the share markets.
1: Yes. And I think that, um, again, everyone's trying to grapple with what is the important criteria for trying to make... The, the decisions to um, invest around and, and how to take on you know forms of trading risk. And I think, again, it's important to bear in mind that uh, a lot of that really sharp and very significant um, uh, you know, movement we saw in March was starting to be driven by the fact that when you have in many of the risk systems and uh, uh, those that call shots in terms of the margin calls and collateral needs. That uh, you know is a value at risk profile. So as volatility went up, it actually generated you know more need for uh, collateral, which meant that uh, you know more risk needed to be compacted, feeding on itself, and why we saw it sort of flow through different uh, asset classes. Obviously, part of the healing is that that starts to uh, unwind as well. And that's what we have been seeing. But the challenge is that not to lose sight, that even though we've seen the volatility levels um, come down, they're still at very elevated levels compared to pretty much everything we've seen through the course of the last 10 to 12 years. And with the exception of uh, the GFC through uh, you know, longer periods as well. The element, I think, that your point on how markets are um, bouncing around is that we have to be careful that until we get some clarity in terms of time and level of impact onto the economy, we start to work out where we are in terms of that process of the depth of recession, whether it's rolling recession versus a one-off and then recovery, that what you're going to find is that swings in sentiment are going to be really quite extreme um, as people uh, you know hope for the best and then all of a sudden have to contend with maybe not quite uh, the, uh, the reality they would like.
0: So how are Fidelity's portfolio managers reacting in, in this current situation then?
1: So I think um, you know, overall it's been a remarkably um, balanced and maintaining their, their focus onto the things that they really can um, analyse, understand um, uh, you know, where there are forms of value creating, but also sometimes the value is about the ability to assess real survivable uh, aspects for companies. Um, and also that the nature of the intervention where does that really impact markets immediately and i think there that's where um you know, seen for many of our portfolio managers that you know there will be slightly different bias in terms of whether they uh favor that uh it's a slightly more encouraging picture uh, that can be achieved or uh, uh, or a slightly uh, less encouraging one. But the important part is mainly focusing on to what does that mean into individual um, company decisions? And I think what we have seen is that uh, you know, now the opportunity that where they have strong conviction, where they have uh, the ability to see companies that really we feel are mispriced, whether it be looking at the individual versus their sector, versus the, the market, to actually um, uh, go in and use recent market environment Uh, to increase positions or to uh, move positions to um, reflect some of those uh, thoughts. And I think in the bond markets, it's been especially interesting, obviously, to to see with the high level of issuance um, that's occurred in the investment grade markets, um, but the very strong support from central banks that you've seen the opportunity to be able to pick up paper that uh, looks very attractive spreads, very good companies, those we think clearly not just will survive but be able to uh, to, to thrive and uh, that's what the the portfolio managers have been focusing on
0: and what's your outlook for the next um, the next few weeks I mean it's almost an impossible question to ask where're um, as I mentioned at the at the beginning at almost at the Easter break so there's going to be a pause in Western markets um, at least um, where do you think we go from here
1: so I think you know a very important part has been the, the analysis and trying to understand what are the uh, development of covid nineteen across different countries and and obviously for the world as a whole that i think is is vital in terms of you know trying to give insight to uh, the impact onto healthcare systems um, but then to the broader economy how long will we stay informed of lockdown what does that mean for the potential in, in economic activity and the return to activity within certain areas of the economy that have been you know severely hit um, when you think about you know, how we've seen a decline in travel um, and the knock-on effects that flow from that. But also there's the the supply chains and the degree to which you've had some countries in total lockdown versus others still maintain some level of activity. We forget that the interconnected world we live in, that means that um, uh, you know, that still has a real impact in terms of can you then produce the, the goods that will impact across all countries. So where do I think we are in this stage? I think we most probably at um, some point are going to have to switch from the COVID-19 focus and all trying to understand where do the curves flatten out, what does that mean in terms of getting implied control, to the reality of actually when can activity pick up, how will that activity look, how long will it take to... um, uh, you know actually recover, but also that will we be in a process where we will have some form of having to administer degrees of control and constraint you know later on in the year again, um, if we haven't got some form of clear uh, testing and, and vaccine capability to um, improve confidence uh, and so I think that that's where the switch for the market mentality and I think that as we go through April, In reality, I think there's still more of the the consolidation that we've seen and some of the recovery, but the the risks start to build. We then have to contend with how deep is the recession? What is the impact on earnings? Um, How long could this sort of roll when you think about it as a process through the year rather than just these next two or three months? And that's when I think the markets most probably, you know, have a more challenging phase as we try to assess that and focus on it much more.
0: So you think the economic reality, perhaps, as indicators start to come through, as people understand the that the depth of this seizure of the of the global global system, um, that that will have another knockdown in um, in prices. I think that's
1: the risk. Yes, um, and I think that. Uh, it's one where let's hope for encouraging um, news. But I think the reality is we will be looking at very worrying economic news in the data. Um, and it's the degree to which we can look through that. At the moment, we're to a degree looking through it because we expect it will end within the next few weeks. But the knock-on consequence could be for some time. And I think this has a, a you know another significant ramification in terms of where in the world, because I think the West has been challenged by the reality that we've had you know, through the last uh, decade, especially, a decline in uh, you know, healthcare beds available um, per uh, groups of uh, population. And that's why these, these curves and those lines have been so important that we've seen in so many charts. Um, and that as we switch from that focus as said into what does this actually meant in the real economy? And what does it mean in terms of changes that may stay with us Um, You've also got to look around the world and say, actually, where is the ability to get back to activity, to get back to the interaction at a society level um, that much quicker? And I think that's when you start to to look and say, well, actually, you know, someone like Asia is in a much better position than looking to Europe or to the U.S., because of the way societies both behave, but also how they're coming out of this.
0: And also perhaps because they've had experience of this before, um, most yeah. recently with uh, with SARS. So they know the behaviours um, and accept the um, impositions that there are on behaviour that have helped to turn the societies around, it seems. And uh, certainly um, in markets, that's, that's, that's been reflected as well. Does this have the potential for Asia, for China... To change the um, the market leadership that there has been until now,
1: so I think it does have uh, that um, potential. Yes, that uh, I think it's a really important point as well, as you said around um, SARS, that uh, you know not that just in isolation, but I think that the impact into the region and the understanding of what was required to uh, try and contain that, um, you know, is something that is embedded into society's knowledge, and it's not. Uh, you know, so far away that it's not going to be within the knowledge of many of the um, population um, and their experience. So I think that's that's an important ingredient. I think there's other things to bear in mind as well, though. That um, you know, when we look at what's happened to oil, you know, oil has had a um, you know obviously a significant decline. That driven not just by the supply shock that uh, the Russians and Saudis uh, brought to the, to the table with their behavior, but also through the demand decline more broadly across the, the world. And that means that we now have, in some ways, a stimulus for that activity picking up in parts of Asia where there are very significant importers. And so this giving a tailwind, having been a headwind, if you only look back um, you know six, nine months ago um, from here, some of those aspects will also come to uh, to play and i think the other part is that you know, as we've discussed around the the dollar that as we see that sort of change in the dynamics of dollar liquidity reaching where it needs to around the world and the dollar as itself you know starts to show signs of uh, losing some of that upside momentum that will play back well as as well but i don't think that's essential i think that will then give another tailwind I think what's at the core of this is the fact that Asia getting back to um, levels of activity much more quickly. Their understanding and ability as um, uh, you know, populations to manage this. you know, Little snippets just as in China, concern around property, but how well that's held up relatively given what's been happening. There are, I think, a number of signs that just say that that gravitational pull could uh, accelerate in the course of the next few weeks and months as we still see some of the problems in the West and elsewhere in the emerging and developing economies.
0: Could that be balanced, though, by the scale and the speed of the policy reaction that there has been in the West, which is quite extraordinary, and, and actually this time is, is is more significant than the policy action in, in China? Is it enough to sort of balance out, or do you think there might need to be more in the West?
1: So, so I think it's important to, again, realise that this uh, series of events is not what happened in 2008-2009 you know, there was very much a shock to the financial system and what we saw within the banking sector uh, um, directly and the consequences that flowed that took some time to feed through the economy. Here we've literally had the economies come to a standstill and you know, activity has been depressed. So you know, the recession um, levels we look at that uh, will be substantial. It, um, Regardless of the time span, the, the challenge will be how long that time uh, of the, the recessionary influence and therefore the feedback risks that come from that. The intervention, therefore, from the West, in, in some ways, um, of what we've seen at the moment, as challenging as it was for around liquidity, I think they've done a fantastic job to move quickly to address um, the concerns and the, the degree to which that felt like it was getting out of control. The next move is about solvency of the system and the fiscal intervention. How much more will be required? What will be the budget deficits we look at? What will be the state intervention that comes from this? and i actually think this is where it's very interesting because the lower levels of intervention in asia could have a positive in that they have more that they can can do if um, if required but it also i think brings back to something we've touched on before that this will come down to country selection not just thinking in broad regions or broad terms just developing this will bring back much more focus onto thinking about What does it mean at a country level, the policies and the framework they can operate within, and then the companies um, that work uh, within those countries and across borders um, where they can to actually take advantage of some of the activity that we see starting to to rebuild. And that's where I think that parts of Asia can do relatively better because of that positioning, because some of the developing markets and emerging market um, environment will be very challenged by the budget and capital um, account needs that may well prove to be extremely challenging. So I think differentiation will become key in uh, how you invest looking forward uh, into these areas but certainly one where I'd recommend a great deal more focus as we see that trend accelerate.
0: Because um, governments have different attitudes to how they intervene. Um, and some of them, it might be going against the grain, but it looks like there is going to be a lot of um, governments taking stakes in, in companies in a mm. way that they haven't for a very long time, perhaps since the aftermath of the, of the Second World War. How on earth do investors adjust um, for this situation where the, the old rules are looking very out of date?
1: Yes, I think that um, you know one, it will take time. Two, that the consequences of this as well will pan out over time. You know, I don't think it will be all of a sudden we'll realise that the state owns X in um, the broader economy and that how that breaks down. Because I think you know the process of buying public and potentially private enterprise in the way that they uh, support them has quite a, a long way to go, depending on uh, how long this process plays out and the sectors that are um, uh, most broadly hit. There's also, again, them trying to protect supply chains. And, uh, you know, that will become, uh, I think, an important uh, you know, issue for governments to think on that, how can they ensure that, you know, access and to make sure that um, the supply chains can operate within a more difficult non-global uh, environment. But the last part is that I think, again, that there will be uh, a focus onto not just shareholders, but onto the other stakeholders in society much more. The sort of conditionality um, that we see through that state's intervention could have uh, meaningful ramifications in how companies are run, how they have to properly focus and, and embed sustainability at the core of what they, they do. and And these will have ramifications for investors in terms of thinking around returns, because the, the reality is that returns may well be lower um, and you know more contained in that environment and take a different form because of what we're seeing around dividends, buybacks, and so on um, that will mean that this is thinking in a much longer term profile than maybe the more um, you know shorter-term market uh, experience that we've had in recent years.
0: But what you're describing is sustainable investing, or ESG, environmental social governance, um, uh, aspects of um, the way that companies are run that had been a growing but nevertheless a side uh, consideration for, for, for investors on, on a scale perhaps of their own engagement. Um, do you think that what's going on now is powerful enough to make this a fundamental part of the way that um, society demands corporations uh, that companies are run.
1: So, I think for for many, yes, it will. I think it's about you know how do you access the capital that's available, and and also that thinking of the demands from investors themselves, but also that the degree to which it will be you know a public and private combination to be able to work out this process in the um, months and years ahead. So, I think there will be a much more important element of how do you. Uh, ensure your access to the capital? What is the conditionality around um, that capital that's being brought in? And so I think it will um, accelerate some of the, the trends we've seen around sustainability to ensure that you are part of that um, uh, you know, coterie that can survive and, and succeed.
0: And are there any examples that you can draw on of, of the shape of the um, conditions that a government might put on the capital that's being injected?
1: So I, I think it's it's too early to, to think that um, we could be uh, you know, highlighting the sort of prescriptive uh, nature of it, because I think that one of the challenges is going to be that you have to almost save the economy and then work out the conditionality that's attached to it, Uh, So some of these things will take time to play out. But I think that we will see the focus that uh, existed around climate change and get into a policy framework um, as we went into 2021 and beyond is likely to be a key part of that. To expect the the behaviours that really mean you are far more engaged with your community and how that, uh, uh, again, can be uh, sustained through time, I think will go up uh, the, the priority list. Um so I think that there are aspects that we will see very clearly in that reflected, but I'm not sure the time wise of how these um, play out I think they will grow and they will grow as we see the workout process from the initial ability to support the the economy and these companies
0: and what does this mean for an asset manager like you, what does it mean for asset management as an industry, um, as you see the, um, the world changing in front of you?
1: So I think that, um, uh, you know, again, we have to go back to being very disciplined and to, one, try and understand and draw in the sort of evidence of what is happening as these events uh, you know, evolve. And so to, to understand what data is telling us, but also, I think, to think about the themes um, and to connect the dots across different sectors and different asset classes that play back to uh, re-emphasize those themes are real or to to question them. And then to um, base investment decisions on, again, what are the companies um, and their ability to navigate these changes or to be at the heart of them and therefore um, to be those that we should be investing with and to um, participate in how they can uh, succeed as we go into that uh, newer environment. But I think at the moment, key thing for us is, um, and back to your, your starting point around markets, is that it's very important not to get too excited when the markets have had their, uh, their rally up. Um, it's also important not to get too pessimistic when we see the, the downdrafts. The key thing is to focus on you know, what does that mean for the, the companies and the securities of those, those companies and for the asset class that um, you know, we would look um, uh, to, to throw up opportunities. And whether those are being um, realized or not and being disciplined around ensuring that we when we see them, that we invest and when they're not there, that um, uh, we're not drawn in to making decisions that uh, are against that discipline
0: keep your eye on the ball or certainly the right ball well thank you very much Andrew Uh, that brings us to the end of this investment update you can hear more from Fidelity's investment team on the coronavirus market response and the investment implications on both our Rich Pickings and Fidelity Answers podcast channels just search for those titles in your podcast app you can also read all of the latest thinking online at fidelityinstitutional.com the producer today was Seb Morton-Clark with production support from Alex Wilcox goodbye for now